This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We welcome you to the radio and internet ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We've been talking these past few weeks about living a life as a follower of Jesus that is distinctly different. In today's message, we'll discuss how this can be done in our sex lives. Please stay with us. Does God care about my sex life? We're going to see what Jesus has to say about that in today's message. I hope you'll stay with us. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you this day eager to hear your word and grow in our knowledge of you and your will for our lives. May your Holy Spirit fill us this day and open our eyes to see the things that you want us to see. In Christ's name we ask this, amen. Our reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Here ends our reading. Dear friends, does God really care about my sex life as a Christian? Of course he does. He's interested in every area of your life. After all, he created you, and he bought you with a price through his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave this particular gift to you as a beautiful gift uh, for procreation, as a means of expressing intimacy between you and your spouse in marriage. But like all gifts God's given, this gift is meant to be treated responsibly. If you are a citizen of his kingdom, through your trust in Jesus Christ, he wants you to live a life of sexual purity, to be distinct in this overly saturated society in which we live. Jesus talks about this in today's passage. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. You know what adultery is, don't you? We read in the dictionary, it's voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person married or not other than his or her spouse. This uh, statement, you shall not commit adultery, is part of the Ten Commandments. Adultery is sharply condemned by God from the beginning of Scripture to the end. It's considered totally out of bounds. 
We see in this command how highly God honors and glorifies the married life and how he wants us to honor and maintain and cherish it and protect it. Martin Luther says, This commandment requires everyone not only to live chastely in thought, word and deed in marriage, but also to love and cherish the wife or husband whom God has given. For marital chastity is above all things essential that husband and wife live together in love and harmony, cherishing each other wholeheartedly and with perfect fidelity. Sex is to be only between a husband and a wife who have totally committed themselves to one another at the altar. Jesus takes this command a little deeper, though, beyond the physical to the heart. The heart is our control center. It's where our will resides. He says this command is also about the heart. Listen to these authoritative words of Jesus. As he says, you've heard that you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust, or if you're a woman at a man, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Just as in the prohibition of murder uh, was included angry thoughts and insulting words, so the prohibition of adultery includes the lustful look and imagination. As we can commit murder with our words, Jesus says earlier, now he says we can commit adultery in your heart or minds as well. It's important to note a couple things here. Jesus, first of all, is not simply talking about looking at a woman being wrong, but to look lustfully. You know the difference between looking and lusting. To lust after something is to gaze longingly at it, to covet it, to desire it, wanting to possess it, letting your imagination run wild and imagining sexual relations with this person if you could. Also, I think that we're kidding ourselves if we don't also see this referring to all forms of sexual immorality that is displeasing to God, to let our minds and our uh, eyes go there. But do note the relationship between our eyes and our control centers, the heart that Jesus makes here. Heart adultery is a result of eye adultery. It's stimulated by the eyes of the flesh. Typically, deeds of shame are preceded by fantasies of shame and the inflaming of the imagination which comes by the undisciplined look of the eyes. It is highly doubtful if any human being falls victim to immorality who has not first opened the gates of passion through his or her eyes. And then the fantasizing begins, and then the trouble begins. Therefore, the only way to deal with the problem, it appears, is at its beginning, which is our eyes. And Jesus talks about that in the following verses. He gives a kingdom principle for maintaining sexual purity in our heart and our flesh. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Seems to be a favorite saying of Jesus, by the way. He quoted it more than once. It shows up later in this gospel where he adds the foot to his list as he talks about overcoming temptation to sin. 
Well, Jesus paints such a startling, dramatic picture here, doesn't he? Pluck out an offending eye and cut off a hand? What, what in the world is he after here? Unfortunately, in the past, a few Christians have taken this one literally and mutilated their bodies. It's too bad because this command is an example of our Lord's use of dramatic uh, figures of speech called hyperbole. He's making a point. He's trying to get our attention. He's not advocating maiming of the body, but he is advocating moral self-denial, what some would call the mortification of the flesh, a willingness to take up the cross and to reject sinful practices so resolutely that we do whatever it takes to die to them or put them to death in us. And what Jesus appears to be saying in this passage is, if your eye causes you to sin because temptation comes to you through your eyes, then don't look. And if temptation comes to you through your hands, the things you do, then don't do that. And if it comes to you through your feet going where they should not be going, don't go there. Don't put yourself in the position to be tested and maybe conquered by this sin. You know, we live in an overly sex-saturated society today. I'm not telling you anything new. Look at the billboards. Look at your TV advertising, for instance. We know sex sells. It's used to market everything from beverages to cars to vacations. As you turn on your TV set or begin to... Uh, move around in the internet on your computer or look at movies, look at various magazines, you know there's a lot of moral sexual filth in this world of ours. Pornography, for instance, is taking over many people's lives as an addiction and wrecking so many marriages these days and the lives of the individuals who are getting hooked on it. As a pastor, I've seen this firsthand in my counseling of married couples. This stuff works across the generations. I recently came across an article that startled me as well. The article was called Retired and Looking at Pornography, talking about grandmas and grandpas that are getting hooked on this stuff, talking in chat rooms and so forth. When Jesus talks of watching your eyes and hands, you see, he's issuing a call to be on guard. Like the Old Testament verse says, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. He's saying that it's, first of all, important for you and me to recognize we're in a battle. There's a war on for our souls. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6. He describes the battle tactics of Satan who wants to pull you away from life with Christ and destroy you. He'll use this in that way. In the military, you know, as long as we're on a battle uh, imagery here, the posting of sentries is a common military tactic. Likewise, moral sentry duty at the perimeter of your life is equally vital. We need to be on guard. To obey this command of Jesus then involves eliminating from our lives certain things which either are or easily become sources of temptation. We need to avoid them. We have to be willing to take extreme measures to control what our eyes see and our hands take hold of because some of these things can cause us to fall. 
means declining to read certain literature or watch certain movies or visit websites that are questionable. What you feed your mind and imagination really does matter, Jesus is telling us, and it's better to accept some cultural amputation in this world than risk final destruction in the next. Also, Paul would say to us, the Apostle Paul, instead fill your mind with good, healthy, uplifting things. Healthy hearts need a healthy diet. So we take to heart the the words he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Feed your mind good stuff. Remember the old gospel hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? I was reminded of that when I read this article by John Piper, a pastor who's recently retired. He he says, We must not give of sexual images or impulses more than five seconds before we mount a violent counterattack with the mind. Five seconds. In the first two seconds, we shout, no, get out of my head. And in the next two seconds, we cry out, oh, God, in the name of Jesus, help me, save me now. I'm yours. He says, it's a good beginning, but then the real battle begins. This is mind war. The absolute necessity is to get the image and the impulse out of our mind. How do we do it? We get a counter image into the mind. Push, fight, strike, don't ease up. It must be an image that's so powerful that the other image cannot survive. There are lust-destroying images and thoughts. For example, he says, Have you ever in the first five seconds of temptation demanded of your mind that it look steadfastly at the crucified form of Jesus Christ? Picture this. You've just seen a peekaboo blouse inviting further fantasy. You have five seconds. No, get out of my mind. God help me. Now immediately demand demand of your mind, and you can do this by the Spirit of God, demand of your mind to fix its gaze on Christ on the cross. Use all your fantasizing power to see his lacerated back. Thirty-nine lashes left little flesh intact. He heaves with his breath up and down against the rough vertical beam of the cross. Each breath puts splinters into the lacerations. The Lord gasps. From time to time he screams out with intolerable pain. He tries to pull from the wood and the massive spikes through his wrist rip into the nerve endings. And he screams again with agony and pushes up with his feet to give some relief to his wrists. But the bones and nerves in his pierced feet crush against each each other with anguish and he screams again there's no relief his throat is raw from screaming and thirst he loses his breath and thinks he is suffocating and suddenly his body involuntary gasps for air and all the injuries unite in pain now i am not thinking about that blouse anymore i'm at calvary turn your eyes to the crucified jesus And stand firm. Be resolute. This is an imperative Jesus gives us. You must keep in mind this kind of thinking that we're talking about runs counter to our present day standards of permissiveness. It might make you an object of ridicule amongst your peers, calling your attitude prudish. My response to that is, so what? 
Jesus talked about carrying a cross and denying self for him, didn't he? And these instructions of Jesus are based on the principle that eternity is more important than anything else this world has to offer. You and I have to decide quite simply whether to live for this world or the next, whether to follow the crowd or follow Jesus Christ. Christ is unveiling for us a whole new way of being human in the kingdom of God. It might look strange to this world, but Jesus himself pioneered it and invites us to follow. I want to conclude this message, though, on a note of grace. If you have fallen prey to this kind of sin, you're struggling with it, that Jesus is talking to us about today, I have some hopeful good news for you. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he went to the cross to pay for all your sins. He rose again, and forgiveness is yours for the receiving. A new clean slate awaits you. It's a matter of repentance, leaving behind the old and moving towards him. It's a matter of faith, trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross and trusting that he knows as your Lord what makes life work best for you and doing life his way. Forgiveness and rescue awaits those who turn to Jesus Christ for rescue. That's good news. And there's a promise for you when you do that about the faithfulness of God to help you along the way. Paul says, no testing has overtaken you except that is not common to everyone. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will provide a way out so you may be able to endure it. You're not alone in this. And finally, if you're struggling with an addiction in this area of your life, with Christ's help, I want to tell you, with Christ's help, you can be free of this. In Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The power of God is available that changes people. So pray and fill your heart with this word and find someone to be accountable to. But I recommend another step to take as well. It's wise to seek out a Christian counselor and a support group to help you get on the road to healing and then keep you on a healthy trajectory. These are life-changing tools that God has provided for you to live distinctly in this area of your life for Jesus Christ. May you fight the good fight and run the good race for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your many good gifts, including the gift of sex and marriage. May our lives and our relationships reflect your will and help us to shine for Jesus Christ in a world that so desperately needs what he has to offer. Help us to live lives that bring glory and honor and praise to you alone. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over, and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You have been worshiping with the radio and internet ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message will help you live a chaste and pure life out of love for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Christian Crusaders is 80 years old. Our first broadcast went over the airwaves in 1936. You are invited to help us celebrate with an anniversary gift to the ministry of $80 or more. Your donation will be used to ensure Christian Crusaders continues to broadcast the gospel for many more years to come. Please direct your gifts to Christian Crusaders, Post Office Box 522, Cedar Falls, Iowa 50613. To find out more about the many ways you can support our ministry, please call us toll-free at 1-888-MY-FAITH. That's 1-888-693-2484. To listen to today's message again or receive a printed copy of the message, be sure to check out our engaging new website, christiancrusaders.org. You can also call our office toll-free at 1-888-693-2484 or write us at Christian Crusaders, Post Office Box 522, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. Gifts of any amount to help defray production and mailing costs are considered tax-deductible and are always appreciated. We are happy you chose to worship with us this day and pray you will join us again next Sunday on this station. Conducting our service was the Reverend Steve Kramer, Senior Pastor of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Afton, Minnesota, and Speaker on Christian Crusaders, on air and online, and now in its 81st year of continuous Sunday worship broadcasting.